Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Vanderbilt University here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we are honored to be joined by the one and only Coach Tim Corbin, the Vanderbilt baseball team. Thank you so much, Tim, for hopping on with us. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. So there's been a lot of rumbling uh, around the baseball world recently, and we'll just get right into it. Shohei Otani, you guys are out on the running? Not in the Otani? mix. Not in the mix, Otani? No, we don't have that type of money. We don't have that okay. type of NIL. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's no level of NIL no. Uh, that's going to get you in that in that no. sweepstakes. Uh, no, we're, we're going to, of course, you know, take a break uh, from our MLB discussion because being here uh, in Nashville on the campus of Vanderbilt and talking to, to you know, the, the person behind, the person who kind of has helped build this Vanderbilt baseball program to what it is today. And we're going to talk about what it is today, but we, I think we should rewind a little bit because I'm curious as you sit here now, and this is, this is your job. You, you come here every day and you, you understand what it's become and what it is on a daily basis. But think back to when it started, uh, when your first year here at Vanderbilt. Like, was this the kind of thing you thought possible? Were these the expectations from day one for you? Was this something you thought you could build or was it a little bit more modest goals at that point? Yeah, I, I don't think I, I could have thought this. Um, I was thinking modestly, really, about just getting a program going, trying to infuse it with as much energy as we could at the time. I, I recognized that the person before me, Coach Mewborn, didn't have the resources, and uh, he was older. He basically handed this program off to me, and uh, we just did the best we could to establish uh, an investment level where um, kids would be proud of being here. I think we, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a lot of traditions, so we basically recruited to the university mm -hmm. because it's um, the academic standards, of course, led the way. But um, it, it was just trying to get it going. What was the priority at the beginning? What was the cornerstone that you felt like you could fall back on when you started? Well, I think you're, you're working with smart kids, number one, the very cerebral. Um, I think it's just understanding what investment looked like in a, in, in a, in a sport, in a team, uh, what it looked like individually and what it looked like collectively. And when you put those energies together to try to build something as, as a group and, uh, that, that took time. There's, uh, there's certainly some angst that's associated with it. Uh, it takes a great deal of energy. Um, but at, at the same time, once you get the ball moving and once you get the snowball moving, it, it gains momentum and it took a while to gain some momentum, but once you did gain momentum, you could feel it. You know, it became emotional. 
And then once it became emotional, you could see where the energy started to uh, show up on the field and show up on the scoreboard as well. So we're in a lounge here in the baseball facility. And when you walk around this beautiful facility, you see pictures and you see trophies and you see plaques and various years of teams that you've coached. And the one that I want to start out with is 2003. Right in front of us, there's a little banner for the team in 2003, a team that went, I believe, 27 and 28, the only year you've had here under 500. When you look back to that team, that was your very first year on campus, what do you remember about that group? It was almost like the Junction Boys, you know, the Alabama teams or uh, where Bear Bryant um, coached those, those teams, and uh, I guess that was Texas A&M. But uh, it was just a group that we didn't have many. You know, that first year we had seven pitchers. So we were throwing Excuse me? seven. That's I mean, 2003, true. that's not that so, long ago. That's not long ago, seven. So when you say seven pitchers, you mean like seven pitchers you felt comfortable using in a big spot or like seven human beings on the roster <laughs> that, th- that threw a pitch during the season? That's correct, seven. And, and, <laughs> and so when I say that, no one believes it, so I have to show the stat sheet to our guys because I just explained to them that a lot can be done with less. Yep. And uh, you've had years now where seven pitchers have gotten drafted. <laughs> in yeah, a season, probably. Yeah, I didn't think about it in those terms, but right. yeah, we have. <laughs> and, and it didn't take that long, but as you mentioned, you, you kind of build the momentum and, and you get mm-hmm. the ball rolling and you have someone you know, like David Price who comes along and yeah. his, his story is, is incredible on its own. Was there a moment when you kind of realized like, oh, we've, not that we've done it, you know, of mm-hmm. course, you're still building towards winning a national championship and that's the goal every year, but when did you feel that the expectations for yourself, for the program had started to, to really change? I think probably about 2007. It was 2007 is when we hosted a regional for the first time. It's when we brought in seats. Um, the environment changed. I remember walking into a stadium for a regional, and some guy tried to sell me a ticket. And I said, I, I, I appreciate it, but I don't need one. I'm going to be standing in the dugout. And he didn't know who I was, not that he should have, yeah. but it, everything was new. So uh, I could tell we were changing the environment. Has that happened since? <laughs> Anyone offer <laughs> scalpers leave you alone outside this yeah, you all helped I, to build? I think they do now. Okay. But no, they should do that to try to humble you. They're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, who's this guy? It's yeah. like, no, you, you know who he is. But 2007, that's, that's not a long time. Four years, is that's a pretty fast turnaround. And I know a lot changes. Mm-hmm. And obviously, once you're there, you get to start recruiting. So mm-hmm. you get to start actually making the roster what you want it to look like, which the first year you get here, of course, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious how quickly you were able to. So you mentioned recruiting to the institution. Mm-hmm. But what kind of player, as we kind of transition this to what Vanderbilt has become as a, a obvious breeding ground for professional baseball players and first round draft picks and all stars and Cy Youngs and all these things. What kind of kid are you, are you, were you looking for then and, and even now that you can see as an, a good fit for Vanderbilt as a student and obviously as a talented baseball player? Well, I think the easy answer is talented baseball player does well in school. But I, I think when even back then, and I say back then, into seven and eight, we're looking for kids that had the personality fit, at least for what we were looking for. Someone who loved baseball, I, I think that was, that was primary. Someone who loved baseball but liked to do it in group settings. They weren't 
uh, auditioning. They were competing with teams, and they loved teams. They spoke about teams. That was quite natural in, in their conversation. So we were looking for, for that type of kid, the kid that really liked to compete and uh, wanted to compete academically too because that's a real thing here. You just, you know, going to class, not going to class, that that's not even conversation here. I mean, kids come to school here because they want to go to class. It's part of what they do, and they understand – the benefits that are associated with going to class that end up showing up on the field. Uh, but we were looking for that kid. How it, it is such a different universe now that we mm. occupy in, in, in the world of college baseball. Yeah. What would you tell 2003 Tim Corbin? You finished the year 27 and 28. You get back out on the recruiting trail that summer. I need to find some pitchers. You, you, I need to find we gotta get some more arms. I got to find an eighth pitcher. Hopefully, I'm sure it was on the wish list. Yeah. But you're back out and you're doing the grind, and I'm sure that there was, you know, a little bit of disappointment there. I'm sure there was progress in that first year, but I, you are a man who did not sign up for the job to go under 500. So, like, what would you tell that version of yourself from where you sit right now? Oh, that would be that'd be difficult. Uh, yeah, I, I, I look back at that time and I wonder how we got through it. You know, that was Eric Backich, that was Derek Johnson, two really, really good, capable people and, and good teachers. But I, I just think that we were all into that situation. I, I, I'm not answering the question really, but 2004, the, the thing that happened from that season is, is after the 2003 season, it was a must, a must that every single person on that team, if they wanted to come back and play in 2004, played summer baseball. And when they all went and played summer baseball, we had seven kids go to the Cape and six made the all-star team. And I will tell you this, I remember going up there as we do every summer, Maggie and I, to watch the kids play, is that I remember saying to her that we're going to turn a corner here because those kids are playing well. They're going to gain confidence. And we came back that next year in 2004, and we were two games away from going to Omaha. We, we played in a super regional in Texas. So we probably moved a little bit too quick, but uh, it, did, it did gain more momentum than maybe what we anticipated, but it really created Price, Alvarez. It gave us six and seven, you know, those, those next years. So the version of you then, the version of yeah. you now, yeah. what uh, have you changed? Like, what have you adjusted because yeah. you're, you're trying to get better as a coach every day. Yeah. I understand that that personal yeah. development is a part of it okay. and not being too beholden to your philosophies. But what are the things that you had to take a second and say, you know what, I might be wrong about this. Or, hey, maybe I need to change this up a little bit. Uh, that is probably, that's the better way to question it for me. Uh, I, I think that the version of me back then was young, didn't have much patience, came from Clemson, expected to win, didn't win, um, you know, is probably trying to move too fast myself, um, didn't have as much experience as what I needed. And then 22 years later, it's uh, more patience, more understanding, more flexibility with kids. I, I don't think I was as flexible. I know I wasn't. I wasn't. I saw Carter Hawkins today over at uh, – the Opryland, and you know, he reminded me how unflexible, inflexible, <laughs> whatever the word is that I was, uh, what I wasn't or was. Um, but I, I think you know, today I'm, I'm probably more flexible with the kids, and it has a lot to do with my wife. You know, in terms of marrying a good teammate, uh, oftentimes what that person does for you is they uh, help you with blind spots that could get in your way, 
Yeah. Because none of the kids are going to tell you what you're doing wrong, right? They're trusting you. Might, you. They're trusting you, right? Yeah. But like that you are in some ways, you're a father figure, you're a boss, you're mm-hmm. all these little things. No freshman is going to come up and say, hey, Coach Corbin, you're being to this. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not a reality of the situation. But you have your wife is the person giving you the, the tough truths sometimes. Yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of times. And I think that's that's needed um, because even as from an assistant coach standpoint, you always won't speak up to a, a head coach and, and, and share something, although our, our guys do now. But I, I think uh, when I look back at, at that, there were – lot of adjustments that had to be made personally before you ask the guys that you're teaching and coaching to make those adjustments. So I, I, what I, 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 I will say this, I have a decent amount of awareness, but I was, uh, you know, I, I think the thing I'm very tough on myself, you know, before it became the team, I'm very difficult on myself too. So, uh, it was, it was trying to get better. Everyone was trying to get better, but it, it needed to start with myself. I want to go back to your, reference the summer ball because Mm -hmm. that is a hint at uh, prioritization of player development and getting better in ways that you can't even necessarily do during the spring. And what's been so impressive to me about the Vanderbilt program is the balance between having a culture Mm -hmm. that is focused on winning college baseball games, but also it'd be, it'd be silly to pretend like you're not, especially now with the track record, developing them into something that could be a professional baseball player. And so finding that, how, how have you found striking that balance? Because you would think that that could be uh, a situation where players are focusing on themselves and focusing on just how am I going to get the most money in the draft or do X, Y, Z. So how have you been able to strike that balance as you've been able to you know, have all these talented players on the roster? Probably spend a lot of time in the classroom and explaining to them that, you know, what they do is baseball, but if you're doing something well and you're doing it with and for other people, there's 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 great benefits from it. And I, I think that that's probably, as, as a whole, when I look at everything, that's probably bothersome to me um, just in terms of how a lot of players approach the game, but we've always approached it in a way that uh, this is – you're basically going from independence to interdependent. You're, you're interdependent on the group, and you're functioning as a group. And when you function in group efforts, the individual gets rewarded quite naturally. It doesn't work in reverse. Uh, when all you think about is yourself, then it, it, it becomes very problematic. But there is a healthy selfishness that exists inside of a player where they're doing the best they can to grow themselves but the benefit is for the team. Mm-hmm. And if they affect the team in a positive way, then the individual naturally gets rewarded. It's, I guess at this level, it's not 26 guys, but mm-hmm. it's <laughs> yeah. a roster of guys <laughs> being yeah. selfish mm-hmm. about their own development That's right. for the betterment of a group. Is yes. that how you would? Yeah, it, for the betterment of the group and understanding a team role first before you understand what a playing role is because they're, they're two completely different things. We're going to take a quick break here in a second. But before we do that, I actually, I want to ask you about love Mm -hmm. and the idea of loving your players and Mm -hmm. something that is very impressive about you from the outside that you can really tell when you watch a Vanderbilt game on TV is that you are strict and you are disciplined, Mm -hmm. but that you love your players and that that comes across on TV. How do you strike the balance between, as I mentioned before, being a father figure, being a boss, being a friend? being a coach? 
I think because I'm a step parent. I mean, I, I think uh, when I became a step parent, not thinking I ever was going to be, you you blended yourself into someone else's family. And what I, I understood through that and through the process of raising someone else's child is uh, only when you show them how much you care about them as people mm. will they begin the trust process of you. So uh, I understood that, and I, through the years, have become more understanding of it is that that's primary. It's getting to know these these kids as individuals first and understanding their personality and getting to know them in in every way outside of the ball, the bat, and the glove. And then once you get to the field, then the, the teaching component of it becomes quite natural. But I've always looked at parenting and teaching and coaching in a very similar fashion. Uh, everyone wants discipline. They don't ask for it, but they crave it. And when they get it, they understand how much freedom it gives them from a, a personal standpoint. So I, I enjoy that part of it. I really do. I enjoy being demanding, but not demeaning. But I enjoy being demanding because I think that they they respond to that. People respond to that. I don't care who it is. They may say, no, I want a lot of freedom. And I've, you know, I've heard and from a recruiting standpoint, sometimes our assistants will come back and they say, you wouldn't believe the question I got from this guy. He thinks we run a military school and we don't, but you know, we do have standards. We do have values. We do expect a lot, but at the same time, I want them to grow into that person that's going to want the same things for their family and for themselves, because I think that makes for a better human. Better humans make better teammates. Better teammates make better teams, and better teams is what we all want. Right, and in you know thirty years from now, when you're done, yeah, that's you look, right, and you, yeah, and you look back on it, and yeah. if you won a bunch of national championships, but all the guys you coached were schmucks, <laughs> like that's not that's not something to look back on. You know what I mean? Like there is more mm -hmm. to it than the W's and the L's on the field. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, uh, dig a little bit more into Vandy and, and what it is today, what it has become. We'll be right back on Vandy Boys Baseball Barbecast Special. And welcome back to Vandy Boys, a baseball barbecue special. So again, you know, we're sitting here we, behind us. We got photos of, of all these players who have gone on to become uh, these great major leaguers, all-stars, all kinds of accolades. I, you know, we talked about summer ball a little bit. Maybe this goes back to your time at Clemson. I know you had experience with Team USA even before you were at Vanderbilt. I want to know when you started to learn what it looks like to help a major, you know, a player become a professional baseball player. Like, how did you kind of get the knack for that? We, we talked about it in the team context and how it blends into success, you know, wins and losses at the NCAA level. But as far as getting better, when do you feel like you got a knack for what that means? And, and yeah, because you yeah. didn't play major league baseball, no. you, you played Division three baseball, right? Yeah, I mean, we were talking before yeah. we started talking. You know, we yeah. all played Division three baseball, so I didn't. I didn't know what it looked like. Yeah, I didn't know what that player looked like until right. I went to Clemson. Okay. And then once I started to understand what a second round, third round, fourth round talent is out of high school and started recruiting, then I thought, okay. It gave you the benchmark and you were like, this That's is right. what it looks I like. I started calibrating. Yes. Because a Presbyterian and the, not minimizing the strengths of players there, they just, they weren't players like Clemson. Right. And so then you have experience with Team USA and now you're getting, you're calibrating even more because now you're getting the best players from across, from all over the country. And I know we talk about the way that things are different. I just going back and looking at some of those box scores, 
playing 30 plus games with Team USA is, is unheard of now. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that was a pretty, and I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about David Price in particular mm-hmm. that summer with him. And what, what was it like being around those players? And how much did that kind of give you guidance for, oh, this is what it looks like when a pitcher is figuring it out with this. This is what it looks like when a hitter is kind of finding it with this part of his game. Yeah, I just think that when you look at those kids, whether it's Mark Teixeira, whether it's Mark Pryor, whether it's David Price, whether it's Darwin Barney, whether it's Frazier, any of those guys, I would I would say this, that you know they're different, but they just operate differently than most. They live their life differently. Their passion for what they do is different. How they go up, it's all that's on their mind. They're not distracted with other things. I mean, it's baseball, 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 baseball. And you know when you're around them, I I think the most fun I had at that time, we traveled all over the world. It was incredible. Uh, It's not like today. It's it's so unique because you were gone all summer. I went from the College World Series, never saw my wife for the next two months. But it was uh, it was fun not not seeing my wife, but you know being with those players because you kind of got to understand these are big league players and here's why they're big league players they catch on quick they've got a teachable spirit they want to know they're very curious they're question askers they do have innocence they haven't lost their innocence they're still it, kids it, it, they sure are and they're they're willing listeners but they're willing participants and. I think because of that, it just made the, the teaching, coaching part of it uh, very, very special. Not that this wasn't, because it is, but when you get groups that are different like that, it's so unique. 2019, when you were playing Michigan, mm-hmm. there was an interview in the dugout with Eric Baggage during the game that I'll never forget, where he said, my roster looks like America. And your team specifically has done a really good job of making mm-hmm. sure that your roster is frankly not... 45 rich white kids from New Jersey. Yeah. How important is that to you? And when did that start to become a priority in the Vanderbilt program? It became a priority early. Actually, I was talking to Carter Hawkins about it this morning because on his 2004 team, uh, he said, here I am from Buckhead, Georgia, a white kid that didn't even own a pair of jeans. And I just went to school every day in slacks, khakis, a nice shirt and a tie. He goes, I come to Vanderbilt and he goes, really, it was the first time that I understood what buying a pair of jeans was. And that's the other side of the tracks. And so I think the reality is that's your best education. When you start playing baseball with a kid from the Bahamas or you start playing with a kid like right now, a kid from Tokyo, Japan or inner city Chicago um, and you've got 26 different states represented on your team, half of the country. And then you've got these kids from low socioeconomic backgrounds, high, and high well-to-do kids. It's just the blending of different backgrounds, kids with no parents, kids with parents in jail, kids with parents that are dead, kids that have parents that are together for years, kids that have parents that are split up, kids that have parents that are sick, just all these different uh things that go on with the kids and then you just cut this blending going on i that to me is the most satisfying piece of what we do not only that but just to be able to hire people that have uh, uh, physical disabilities women 
Uh, I, I just think we're all inclusive in terms of what a program could look like if you include a lot of different people. I did an interview, I think it was two years ago, with Joshua Baez, who ended up yeah. signing with the Cardinals, who I know mm-hmm. was committed here. And his story is particularly yeah. fascinating, yeah. right? And I, the idea of him dreaming of coming to this space, mm-hmm. right? Going from the Dominican Republic to Boston and just living yeah. with one parent. Yeah. And this is a whole other universe, mm-hmm. right? But it feels like you are making that universe accessible to people, right? That's, that's the priority. It is the priority. It's making it accessible to a kid that wouldn't have access to it if he wasn't playing baseball. And that, that's the thing. You're accessing a world-class education because of your baseball skill sets. Our daughter played tennis here, not because went to school here and played tennis here, but she didn't go to school here because she was a great student. She was a good student, but she became a Vanderbilt student once she got inside of it. And I think that the essence of a Vanderbilt degree is actually getting inside of it first and understanding what your mind is capable of doing if you really push it, if you really stretch it like any other muscle in your body we talk about that a lot but what i've seen inside of our program is that's where the strength lies as these kids get smarter and start tapping into mental abilities that they didn't think they had then it transitions to the field and when it transitions to the field their self-esteem and confidence grows in such a cool way but they get it honest and they get it honest by building that muscle structure in their mind you've had so many talented players come through here. When you look back at it, what is one development story that you're particularly proud of? Um, I have to go back to Price, I think, because I think David was, uh, you know, he's from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He was a tall left-handed pitcher that actually I saw playing shortstop, you know, as a left-hander. So he was playing shortstop as a Right on this field yeah. during the summer. Had a look. Like he should be at shortstop. <laughs> I mean, he was at shortstop for a reason. I even asked the coach, I said, why do you have him playing shortstop? He goes, you'll see. And after a couple of balls were hit to him, it's like, that's the best athlete on the field. This guy's a potential big leaguer. But I think the, the, uh, the development piece is more mental than anything else is because that was a young man that probably wasn't wired to go to Vanderbilt. And it's almost like a, it was like fitting a square peg in a round hole which you probably would stay away from, but there was something about this kid that drew me to him, and something about this that drew him this way too. But, you know, he almost quit. You know, he almost quit. And January day, he came in here and told me that he was quitting. And the reason he was quitting is because he no longer wanted to go to school, and he just wanted to work in fast food, and he wanted to drop everything. And the development story behind that was during that moment and after the discussion of that day, the turnaround happened like this. And we just made a couple of adjustments, but it was the last time I ever had to talk to David Price about confidence again. And his confidence was so strong, so earned, and he was so humble and so innocent. And his emotion for this program was so deep and so strong. He's given back to it millions of dollars to our, our the, these facilities we're sitting in right now. David Price got his name written all over it. But the only reason he did it is because he felt so compelled to do it. His philanthropic heart for the team when he played morphed into philanthropy from a financial standpoint for our program. But it was all because of how he felt about his development and 
how he grew into this person that he didn't didn't think he could become. And stories like that is why so many kids want to, we're going to talk to one of them here soon mm-hmm. a little bit with, with Enrique Bradfield Jr. But like so many kids want to go to Vanderbilt now, right? You build up the program, you have the reputation, you have the track record to say, not only can I go and be at this great school and win and get better and all these things. So it also opens up access to you. We talk about having access and being accessible to a lot of different kinds of players. It also gives you the opportunity to get a lot of different kinds of players and really talented players. So I'm curious how you, now you have almost the pick of so many kids when you're recruiting from a, from a talent standpoint, you know, now, especially, you know, there are a lot of schools where it's like, you understand, oh, this kid's amazing. He's committing to me when he's 15 and there's no way he's going to be here because he is going to be a top 10 pick. There are plenty of examples like that. And I know that there's still value in making that relationship and having that commitment. But like how do you Crow Armstrong or Matt yeah, Clark, there's Max right. Clark, or so many examples, Matt right? Matt Olson, right? There's there's so many of those, and mm-hmm. there's still value in those. But how do you find that balance between like we want to recruit those kids, even though there's, they're never going to get here, versus finding that right balance of oh, they would be so perfect to get here and then be a first round after Volpe three years is like the, when perfect. I think of a kid who yep. embodies this place but mm-hmm. didn't actually play here. Like Volpe is the essence of that too. He is, and we would still continue to recruit those kids because at that time, whenever that time was, uh, you thought that that was the perfect fit. That was the perfect kid fit. That was the perfect personality fit. And because you thought it was the perfect fit, they too morphed into that player that they knew that they were going to become, but that's why you wanted them. So, you know, it's like Enrique. I mean, you have to take certain risks. And I don't say this in a braggadocious way, but I I feel like if you get those kids, I do feel like they'll be different. I do feel like they'll be different if they leave this program. We've been fortunate, knock on something, where kids haven't gone in reverse once they've left here. They've moved up, even the first rounders. The first rounders who came to school here elevated themselves in the first round and signed for more money than what they were offered out of high school. I don't say that in an in a egotistical way, it's just like, this is what's, that's a fact. we've got faith in it. You know, we've got faith in what we do with young men. They just have to have faith in this process too and understand that, yes, I, you know, I will get my degree and I'll be closer to the big leagues and I'll take out that wedge of time that I may have spent in minor league baseball by spending that at, in, at Vanderbilt, playing in the SEC and growing as a person. And I've, you know, I've always felt like that's, nothing against Volpe because I love Volpe and Olsen and all those kids, Pete Crow. I mean, they're good players, but there's still a lot of me that says they'd be better. Yeah. And I, I don't mean that in a hard, hard way. to if, say you're wrong. If yeah. you didn't believe that you wouldn't be doing your job. <laughs> you wouldn't still be. You have to right. believe that to be good at this job. Right. I feel strongly about it just because I feel strongly about the amount of attention and energy that we put into it. If I, if I, if I, if I just let it, let it go, I, I, I'd say, okay, no, they're better off just going playing minor league baseball. But this isn't base. This isn't just baseball. It's a lot of baseball, but it's a lot about so many other things too. And I think the so many other things lends itself to becoming a better baseball player. So one more question, and then we'll we'll bring Enrique on here. I am sure that over the years you have had opportunities to go work in professional baseball. I'm sure that those have found you. I'm not asking you to get specific. What are some of like the reasons that you have opted to stay here for so long mm-hmm. and not been tempted by the pro side because college football, right? If you mm-hmm. had had this much success in a college football program, your name would be up 
in every open NFL job every year. But that is not the case in our sport. Why do you think that is, and why have you stayed here? Because I feel so strongly about education, and I think I, I have an awareness of where I belong. I think, I think there's a fit for everyone, and I think this is my fit, and I'm very appreciative of it. You know, we talked about the facilities. We, that doesn't get lost on me. I don't take any of this stuff for granted. I don't walk in here and look at it and go, this is another day. It's not another day. It, it's, I'm very grateful for it. Anyone could take my seat. I'm renting it. But anyone can take my seat at any time. Vanderbilt can ask me to leave at any time. And I'm just not going to uh, ever allow them to do that. And I think by honoring something that you're very passionate about and really appreciative of, it's that you give it its best every single day. And if you give it its best and you give it all its energy, then you feel at some point in time it, it will reward the people that are in it. And that's all I want to do. But I think, I, I don't know, I, I, I've never been in professional baseball. I never played it. I've never coached it. I've never managed it. So I don't know, so I can't speak to it. But I know this. I love this. and <laughs> If it ain't broke, don't fix it, man. This I can't get lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to divorce this woman. This is, <laughs> this is a pretty good setup. All right, yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will bring in uh, the latest uh, uh, Vanderbilt first-round pick, Enrique Bradfield Jr., the Baltimore Orioles. And welcome back to Vandy Boys, a baseball barbecue special. And now we have added a guest to this lovely Vandy conversation, Enrique Bradfield Jr. of the Baltimore Orioles. First round pick. Enrique, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Uh, and Coach Corbin is still here. And we're going to start a question uh, for you, Tim. I know yep. we just talked to, to you for half an hour, but mm -hmm. the first question is for you. When did you first see Enrique Bradfield run the bases? And do you remember that? <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I saw it from afar, actually, because our assistant saw him before I did. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was really a conversation that stimulated the interest of, of, of us and him, and it was from his high school coach, and I'll never forget it. He, it was his uh, ninth, 10th grade year, and he just said, I got a kid that probably weighs 125 pounds, but I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, he is going to play in the big leagues. And uh, I, I just... You're like, wow, I'm, that's, yeah. you're like, I'm, that's, I'm intrigued. Yeah. You're like, I hope he <laughs> eventually gains weight before he makes the big yeah. leagues. So, Enrique, defend yourself. 120, was that, is that generous? Uh, is that accurate? What do we think? I don't think that's accurate to say. <laughs> okay. okay. 127. <laughs> not, not far off, though. Yeah. 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 So, so for you, again, your profile uh, as, as a high schooler like, is, is unique, right? Again, it's sure you have fast players, but... I'm curious what, first of all, the obvious question is what drew you to Vanderbilt? And then when you have that decision, because I'm sure professional teams were, were interested in you at a high school, why was it the right decision to come here? I think the evidence is there, but at the time, what were you thinking? I think there's a, there's a multitude of reasons for me deciding to come here and what drew me to Vanderbilt. And I'll never forget this. Uh, you know, there's obviously other schools at play. And I took a visit in November, I think my sophomore year. And we sat down in his office for about an hour, my father, myself, Coach Corbin, and we talked for maybe a little over an hour. And I want to say five minutes of that was about baseball. And that showed me right there that the true interest was not in what I could do out there, but it was in who I was as a person. So I think that's what uh, made me decide to be a Commodore. I went home and I told my mom, I said, Mom, that's home. And three days later, I committed. And that's 
sophomore year. You said? That is my sophomore year. Yeah. Right. So again, at that point, you're you're still progressing. You're getting better. There, you're getting whatever draft rankings, and all say, oh, he could be this. He could be this. And and I understand the 2020 draft is as, as weird as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> so that that maybe was a complicating factor. But then again, you get to that point, and that was steadfast the whole time. So that's pretty early, and that stayed true. And I imagine it stayed even stronger as you. I'm curious about when you commit that early. What is the relationship with Vanderbilt from there until you even get here? Are you still staying in touch? Like, how does that work? Yeah, stay in touch. I spoke to Coach Baxter pretty much, I think, once mm-hmm. a week uh-huh. throughout the, the rest of the two years. Mm-hmm. Coach Corbin, handful of times. And I just kind of stayed in touch. And we, we just kept building that relationship. Uh, my relationship doesn't date back to being a freshman here. It dates back to being a sophomore in high school. And I think that's something uh, to say about the program and definitely a reason why this is this place has had so much success. What separates him? When you look back at, mm-hmm. obviously, he's the fastest one. Like that I assume. He's the, I'm just, just, can we just get that? Yeah, let's get this out of the way. Who's the fastest player in Vanderbilt history? Is, is, is he it, the fastest? Yeah, he, yeah. Put <laughs> the he numbers in, certainly yeah, would you, suggest you, you can't, Yeah, the numbers do. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say Antoine was Antoine Richardson was really really fast. But from a number standpoint and what he's done over time, yeah, yeah. there's no doubt. But beyond that, mm-hmm. what separates him when you look back at all the people you've coached? What's different about Enrique? Mentality. His mentality. His mentality is it's it's big league mentality. It's and I say that I shouldn't even use the word big league because it's a mentality for being good at everything he does. It's academics. It's he's just compete. It's compete academically. It's compete socially. It's compete on the baseball field. And I think the he, well, he'll remember this. But I, I think from my vantage point, when we played on the road in the SEC in the middle of the year, we played a, a rival, and we, we actually had bumped him up. And it was previous to this, but he we started him off in the nine hole, and then as the season progressed, we started moving him up because we thought he could take on that responsibility, and he welcomed it, and he did, but then about halfway through the season when this series came, he uh, he just played at a level where you th- thought to yourself, okay, he's catching on really quick. Take off the training wheels. He's ready to go, uh, and at that point right there, you, you felt like this is a kid who not only is very dynamic, but he influences the game in ways that you haven't seen other people do it. But I thought the mentality and the compete, compete, because that, when you look at kids, that's the separator right there. There's a lot of talented guys, but when guys get on the field and want to actually beat the opponent, then that, that's different. That's what he was. Every time he would score, mm-hmm. you would see that. Like, I remember thinking back to times when Enrique, like, yeah. you know, so let's say it's like a sack fly, right? And there's no no play at the plate because you're Dumb. fast. And you <laughs> run through home, and I just have this image of remembering you, like, you're screaming, you're yelling, there's noise, there's energy, that passion is present. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. obvious from our perspective as people who are, like, on the media side. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from for you? I think I was just born with it. My older sister, Yari, she, uh, we used to compete all the time, and she would always beat me, and it was just something that I kind of grew up with. I, hated losing. I, have, I hated losing more than I liked winning. Um, I hated being on that side, and it was, just, it was just a part of me. It's kind of always been, and as I got older, I understood the other side of it as well, being able to control my emotions a little better, um, specific moments for specific emotions, and that's something that I was able to learn here as I got older. But definitely, uh, 
it's just I've always had it. So you mentioned that interaction like as a sophomore. I think that speaks highly to the mentality that Coach Corbett is referring to here. But as a player, you, you finally get here. You're thinking about it for a few years. You finally get here. You start playing. What? How much better? I mean, we know how much better you got because you became a, you know, a top 20 pick and all these things. But you were experiencing it. So how did you feel like you improved during your time when you finally got to Vanderbilt to when you know the Orioles took you in the first round, what were the biggest things that you improved upon? Well, I think I just I was a completely different person, and I feel like that process started for me before I even reached campus. And we, you mentioned the 2020 draft briefly a little earlier, and during that process, it was a very challenging process. I had a big decision to make. It was either I can go play pro ball at a high school, I can come be a Vanderbilt Commodore, and I'll never forget this being at home during COVID and watching that draft kind of just seeing all the people go in the first round. At the end of the night, Coach Corbin sent me a long text and was like, in five years, you're going to surpass some of these players that were taken ahead of you in the first round. And I saw that text, and I, at that moment I knew, I was like, this is what's next for me. I just wanted to remain true to myself. You know, I, everybody has a price point, and I'm not going to let teams, other people, other individuals that simply don't know me let them determine how much I think they like they think I'm worth. I know how much I'm worth. So at that moment it was coming here and throughout my course of three years, completely different person. I wouldn't even say I don't even know who the eighteen year old version of me was <laughs> because I just didn't know who I was. Coming to the school, being a part of this program teaches you more about yourself than any experience that I probably ever had. And forever I'm grateful for it. He talked a little bit earlier about discipline and how people want it, but they don't want to say that they want it. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. When you got here, were you intimidated by him at first? I think everybody is. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, no matter where you've been, what you've done, you are to a certain extent. But being a freshman and being somebody new in this program is also very intimidating, not because of him, right. but because of the other people in the room with you. And all of this, right? right. Like there's a lot of banners on the wall. Yeah. David Price's Cy Young is – down the hallway. Like, <laughs> this is this is not high school baseball anymore. Nope. Right? And that's that's the thing about it. It's a, it's a beautiful thing being in the locker room with all these guys. It's like as a freshman, you kind of just want to be quiet, sit back, and watch how the players who have been here for two, three, and four years, how they handle themselves, how they interact with each other. And at first, it's very intimidating being a freshman in this program because it's a lot. This is uh, this from a baseball standpoint is the most challenging that you've uh, probably ever seen in your mm -hmm. life but then you're also having to pair that with your academics your social life and just being able to balance your your new schedule so it's incredibly challenging at first and how do you ensure coach Corbin that those kids feel supported that they're being onboarded in a way that will allow them to succeed on both ends of the, of of playing on the field and, and in the classroom beyond it yeah, well, I, I think the school itself is small, so you feel like you've got some control over the space and what they're doing. Um, but I do think, you know, for me, and it's selfish, is that that's where the classroom has a lot of relevance for me, just because it's a controlled setting where you're meeting the kids on a daily basis in a setting where there's no phone, they're in their classroom, and we're talking about things that don't have anything to do with baseball. And I think what 
is probably resounding what he says is you learn more about yourself. I think those are the spaces right there of the day where you can slow life down and just start talking about things that matter to growth and awareness and just the development of your brain. And I think that's, that's probably the area right there where I feel like, no, we're not talking to them. Each, that's not a one-on-one conversation, but it, it's certainly, a, you know, you're talking to the team and basically what you're doing is you're growing the team, but you're growing the individuals inside of a, a team element. So I feel like that's the area right there where we have control of giving them a little bit of control to at least a safe spot where they know they're going to be every day and it gives them consistency in their day. And Enrique, when did you overcome being intimidated or are you still intimidated? <laughs> He's no, shaking think, right uh, now. I think He's our relationship scared. has gotten to the point where it's not more so intimidation. It's just a, a high level of respect Reverence. on, yeah. on both sides. I've, I've told him this in private and there's probably no other person that I thank more because of, uh, this program has allowed me to do some very wonderful things, and I'm I'm happy I got to be a part of three great teams, and have uh, I've met my brothers for life, people that will be in my weddings, will be in my life for the longest time, and that's just uh, you can't put a price on that. So it's definitely our relationship has changed a little bit. So I, I want to ask you about you talk about the the idea of your brothers, right? So you know I played college baseball very poorly at a very low level, but like. <laughs> that relationship that you have with the people that you play college sports with is different than pro ball. And I'm sure you've had that experience already. What was that adjustment like for you from going to, you are playing with the people in your life who mean the most to you. And these are the most important games you've ever played. You get drafted, you sign and you're in the complex with a bunch of strangers. Coming from here, it's not much different, I would say. And that is because, We've been exposed to so much diversity, whether it be family backgrounds, like middle class, upper class, lower class. It, it doesn't matter from all parts of the country, from Canada. Play with Cooper Davis my freshman year. He's Canadian. Um, so walking into that environment at the complex, you have a bunch of Latin players from different places that are here trying to make it. And I see how happy they are because they're living out a dream every day from where they come from. They're doing great things. And then you have the high school guys and the college guys. So coming here and being a part of this locker room gave me a great understanding of what it was like to be. And uh, that's uh, that's the best way I could put it. And for you, Coach Corbin, Mm -hmm. how do you help kids make the adjustment? Because I'm always interested in it from an intensity perspective, Mm -hmm. because you're going from, like I said, regionals super regionals the world series and then the next game you play is essentially a scrimmage and the it flips from winning to development immediately have you had conversations with former players about that transition process right after they leave you yeah i I think uh typically after a year a couple years um there's several that we sit down and talk before they go to spring training but um i think it, it's it's wrapped around when you get inside this game. It's wrapped around, and I mentioned the word innocence, but it's it, it's basically captivating 
the feeling of why you started to play this game to begin with. You played this game as a young kid because you loved it. And just to hold on to that, regardless of what happens around you, regardless of now it turns into you might be a business asset for a team, you can't control that. But what you can control is your approach to the game of baseball and how much you still adore it and want to play it. And I think as long as guys do that, they have a chance to accelerate. They have a chance to to play further and they have a chance because the game at the professional level you you do get knocked down a few times it's a matter of uh it's your response because you have just great admiration for the game and passion for it that you just want to keep playing it and i think the kids that probably move away from it they lose that when they lose it it no lo- they no longer want to move through that grind of trying to get to where they hoped you know they would be. But I, I think it's just the-, the captivating the essence of why you play this game to begin with. We're going to take one final break. And when we return, we will wrap things up here with Coach Corbin and Enrique Bradfield Jr. And welcome back to Vandy Boys, a baseball barbecue cast special. We're gonna wrap things up. Let's let's just let's just talk about some some more fun, more specific baseball memories with Enrique Bradfield Jr. after three years at Vanderbilt University. Now we t- already talked about the speed, and we talked we referenced the numbers in the stolen bases. And something that struck me when I watched Enrique in college was, okay, wow, like he's running a lot, he's having a lot of success, he hasn't been caught all these times. And I wondered, from your perspective, Coach Corbin. Did you want to run even more? Like, was it tempting? Like, man, I should be sending him every single time because I've never seen anything like this. Like, how did you find that balance? How how were you uh, <laughs> disciplined in that sense to not say, like, yeah, no, you should go every time? Well, I think once you get to a, a level that he did in terms of base stealing, it, it basically becomes his. You basically mm-hmm. hand that over to him. And the thing that, that he had is he had a want to for, for wanting to leave which probably happened midway through his first fall because I, I do remember telling him, I don't care how many times you get thrown, just go, just go. Cause <laughs> once you go once, you're going to go twice. Once you go twice, you're going to go four times. And he did. And the feeling that you get from base stealers like him is that if he goes, he knows he's, he's going to be safe every time. And if he gets thrown out, it's a mistake. You know, it just doesn't happen. And I think the confidence in, in what he does and how he does it and knowing when to and when not to, it, it just be the running game essentially becomes him because it's a green light system. It's no longer a, a sign system. Yeah, you're not can, giving it. It's just no, <laughs> you can't not not for good runners. Good no. runners have to go based on their own instinct and their feel. And for you, Enrique, like, again, we, we talk so much about the speed, but I'm, I'm most interested in your development as a hitter at Vanderbilt because, you know, to be blunt, like, that was the thing pro teams, of course, when you talk to t- people about you in high school, is like, okay, yeah, he's going to run. We know that. He can play a hell of a center field, but, like, is he going to be able to hit? And you proved that in the SEC. How quickly did you kind of settle in as a hitter? At, in the SEC, you were playing as a freshman. Like, was it was it quick there? Was were there was there were a moment when you faced a pitcher and you were like, I've never seen anything like that before. How quickly did you kind of settle in as, as a as a hitter? Well, when I think about hitting, I just go back to my first fall, and because of COVID, nobody got to see that fall. There was no everything was closed that we did. There was nobody in the stands, and I struggled. I struggled a lot yeah. facing our guys, facing Jack, facing Kumar, right. the rest of that staff in 2021. It was challenging, and there's a lot of conversations that we had 
a lot of talks just to try and get me to relax and just have fun out there. And it wasn't until I went home and that Christmas break because of COVID was longer than any break. So I think like 60 mm. days. So it was a full two months almost. And when I came back, I just kind of had this new confidence. And I knew I was going to be out there on the field because we needed somebody to play center field. But when opening day hit and I saw my name in the lineup, I was like, this is what I've been working towards. So with that, I just kind of went out there and tried to be as free as possible. And you must have been communicating to him like, hey, Enrique, that's the best pitching staff in the country, <laughs> right? Like if there, you can hit no, this. Yeah, there's no like easy transition because you are facing the best. And obviously that's, I'm sure, an advantage to some degree because mm-hmm. you know you're immediately how you're stacking up against some of the best talent in college baseball. I know that's a draw, but as you mentioned, I imagine it's also kind of tough to deal with. Sure, you know, high school baseball in Florida is pretty good. It's not, it's not, you know, facing rocker and light or whatever. So, yeah, how do you manage when the kids kind of have that shock factor of like, oh, this is really hard, <laughs> but also... They've never failed you. at yeah. this level mm-hmm. before, too. When they get to campus, they struggle in the fall. Mm-hmm. They've never experienced failure. How do you kind of teach them that that's part of the process? Well, you want them to go through it, number one. I think they have to face great resistance in order to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. If, they, if they don't, they're never going to make adjustments. And at some point of their career, they're going to have to. So you want them to make that adjustment as early as they possibly can. And we talk a lot about that is creating that on the team when we're facing one another. Uh, because if you can exploit someone else, they'll have to make an adjustment. It's a cause and effect type game. But I think when you get down to those moments where after the fall's finished and you start talking about where they are, hey, listen, you're facing really, really good arms out there. And all they're, make, all they're doing is they're speeding up your learning curve, and that's a plus. But to fall down and then bring, bring a kid back up, that's, that's what you need. I mean, that's, that's where you learn resilience. That's where you learn mental toughness. That's where you learn how to improve your game. And I remember those moments. What he's talking about, that's vivid to me. And what's vivid to me is what he just articulated is when he came back from break, it was almost like I'm, I'm no longer a freshman. I had my freshman year in the fall. Now it's over with. I'm moving into my second year. And I think, you know, he's one of those kids that he's a, he's a confident kid, but once you empower that confidence, you see greater energy and greater play behind him. And that's what he did right away. So, Enrique, you are no longer a Vanderbilt Commodore officially, but you're here. You are in Nashville for the offseason, and that is a very unique feature of this program is that you have a locker room on site for all of the former pro guys, Vandy boys community. When you were here at Vanderbilt, how much interaction and support are you getting from the guys that are already in the big leagues and how have they helped you as you've started that pro journey? It's been, uh, I've been incredibly blessed to be able to connect with some of the players, players that haven't played here for years. Tony Kemp, was one guy for me specifically because of his size and the, the type of career he had and the type of player he is that really uh, I wanted to really connect with him. So having him reach out to me and be, hey, if you ever need anything, that goes for five, six, every other guy that comes around. If we never met before, it's family. And that's just uh, such a comforting f- feeling to have. And especially that I'm back now, I want to be that for the guys that are on the team now. 
still have a lot of buddies that I play with and I shared the field and we shared a lot of great moments and also the, the really hard moments. But the harder moments are what we remember the most because of the brotherhood that we had and being able to help guys that are going to their first year just as as a good feeling as going out there and having a great game. I'm curious for you, Coach Corbin, like mm-hmm. now that you've had so many of these guys get picked, go into the big leagues, be, win all, all these awards, whatever. <laughs> you mentioned that story you tell about David Price earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, when he wins the Cy Young and he's winning and he's on the pitching for years and all these strikeouts, all these awards, like when you watch him on TV, are you still, is it every time you watch, you're thinking back to that conversation you had when he almost quit? Like, do you ever, I, I'm so curious how you consume the careers of these players as they go on and, and accomplish all these things. I, I don't say this. It, it, it just feels to me, and I know they're not my sons, but it's that feeling. It's that feeling of just watching someone grow up and, and just, I admire what they do and how they do it. No, I admire what they do, but I admire more how they do it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's the most impressive thing. And, and he, he will be like, like, like these kids. I mean, th- there's a, a certain honor and respect to playing the game a certain way. And uh, that's, it's just that, that they're good reflections of their parents and they're better reflections, good reflections of our, our program too. But I, I just, it, for me, it's, I'm glad they play. It, um, but I just turn into that coach that mm-hmm. just admires how they do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and also it's just, <laughs> there's so many to keep track of. You know, some schools, you got one yeah. guy and you got the coach is always going to be there if they make it to the playoffs <laughs> or whatever. You, 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 don't, you, have time time <laughs> you yeah. don't have time to go watch. You've got one on every team in the postseason. How do you, I mean, obviously you're rooting for their personal success, but it's a good problem to have, of course, but it's probably a unique viewing experience. <laughs> yeah, for you. just buy the network and have the network <laughs> on all the time. And the network's on in my at my home or here. Uh, there's a good chance there's a Vandy boy on TV. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to see. You got a chance to see one of them every single night. Yeah. And I think that's that's a plus. There was, what, 15 for a while that, that we're playing this this past year. And there's some guys that are making their way up, whether it's Enrique or Spencer or Jack or Kumar. When you get through the injury, there's going to be a bunch of guys that start coming up. Do you have a favorite pro ball Vandy boys moment or memory? of players that you've coached maybe facing off against one another in the big leagues or mm-hmm. being together on a team in the big leagues? We've seen many of them win World Series. Like, there's a few of those to choose from. I think the Bueller-Swanson rivalries going back and forth yeah. because they were inseparable here. They had their, you know, it was Bueller, it was Kyle Smith, it was Carson Fulmer, it was Wiseman, and it was Swanson. You know, they were always, and then the fact that they went at each other and wouldn't talk to each other for the next four weeks, it was, uh, it was interesting. But yeah, I like to see that dynamic in the playoffs. uh, And it's just one of those things where I used to be a Boston Red Sox fan and fanatic, but that's no longer. Now it's just I root for the kids. Right. I just root for the kids. I don't root for teams. I just root for the kids. You know how, like, Travis and Jason Kelsey's mom has, like, the split jersey? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. need one with, like, <laughs> all the different bandy boys. Way too many. That'd be complicated <laughs> yeah. uh, stitch work. But yeah. we'll, we'll have to get that set up. And for you, Enrique, uh, as, as we kind of wrap here, you have, of course, you, you, as you just mentioned, like, these are your brothers for life. These are guys, and you're just starting your pro ball journey now. Who are some of the players that, that you are closest with now and maybe guys that you're going into pro ball with or that you're looking forward to kind of have those connections? I don't know if it's anything on the Bueller-Swanson level, but who are, you know, some of the guys that you were, were closest with during your time at Vanderbilt? And Yeah. Yeah, uh, Alan Espinal 
my roommate for two years. We were roommates freshman year, thanks to Corbs, and uh, he made probably a huge mistake with that one. <laughs> but uh, he's uh, he's awesome. He's a great person. He's somebody who makes a locker room better. Mm -hmm. T.J. McKenzie, mm -hmm. another guy. He's playing now at Georgia Southern. But those two, two of my closest friends, and uh, I hold them in high regard. Last question for both of you, same one. What are you most proud of about this place, about this program? Consistency. Just the consistency of it shows up every year, and 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 not just I'm talk, not talking about scoreboard. It's just the people that that come out of it and the people that are around it. I'm most proud of the relationships. That's uh, definitely something that I hold true and uh, close to my heart. So I feel like the relationships are the most I'm proud of. Well. Uh, this is, I have learned a lot. Now I'm proud. I mean, I'm I've, pissed. Uh, I only threw 81 and couldn't get I know, recruited. It's too bad. To well, in, in another life, maybe Jake, uh, would be good enough to come here, but, uh, Enrique coach Corbin, this has been a delight. Uh, this has been, thank you both so much uh, for joining us and, and teaching us about this program and kind of reflecting on what it means to you. Um, this has been Vandy boys, a baseball barbecue special. Thank you to Chris Tyler, uh, our producer. Thank you to Justin Mullen, our cameraman. Thank you to everyone at Vanderbilt Baseball to help make this uh, possible. Um, and hope you all enjoyed learning about Vandy Boys. Thank you all for listening. Vandy Boys, a baseball barbacast special, was recorded on location at Vanderbilt University. Sirius XM Podcasts. <laughs>